It was never easy for me. <laughs> I was born a poor black child. I am not a bum. I'm a jerk. I once had... Oh, what was it? Love and the love of a beautiful woman. Oh. Now, I just have my, my friends. My friends and my thermos. thermos. <laughs> uh, this is the whole fucking podcast. Just cut Sorry. Uh, my story? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, carnies, and welcome to this episode of Sideshow. I am Jacques. I'm Joe. And as you know, you hung on every word of this past week's Carnival Personnel Podcast. You know it's our anniversary week. And to celebrate, the only way to properly do it is to have a sideshow pronouncing our love. Mispronouncing our love. For the greatest comedy movie of all time. One of. Uh, it's you know, in, it's, it's like it's everybody a, has it on a top ten list. This is probably my first real comedy movie experience i think i i would say yeah i would say like there are funny movies there are like you know back to the future was a comedy but i think seeing this on television from for me was my first like comedians comedy movie experience the jerk and i again i just grew up in a house where there was lots of comedy albums and so by the time the jerk comes out i'm 10 and I can't wait for it because I'm a huge Steve Martin fan. I'm not going to say I got all the complexity of his humor, but I remember being seven or eight years old redoing, you know, Wild and Crazy Guy. I remember, like, my cousins and I, my brother, sister, my cousins and I were always trying to scheme ways to get onto the gong show. <laughs> that, 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 that's, that's where the bar was raised for us. But I remember one of the things is just, verbatim doing you know wild and crazy guy and just you know go down like the list of his his routine from you know the martin brothers i think like comedy isn't pretty is like one of my favorite albums of all time not favorite comedy of albums of all time right favorite albums of all time so by the time the jerk comes out like i i'm ready to go and as again on this past week's carnival personnel under the parenting tip i said just because i saw it at 10 with my dad doesn't mean it was right for, uh, you know, I decided in the first two minutes of the movie, it's like, yeah, I'm going to. You're not going to let your 10-year-old or gonna your wait, eight-year-old in that case. Um, well, that was the problem. You have to wait till he's 10. 10. No, that's agreed. But but honestly, I, I saw this with my dad in the movie theater in Buffalo, New York. Wow. And I think we saw it twice. This was one of the first movies I remember recording off of the TV. We had a VCR, I think, for maybe like less than a year. And we started to get into the habit of recording movies off of television, like local television, Channel 56 in Boston. We would record movies off of that. And this is one of the first movies I remember recording. I saw it once. I fell in love with it. And then the next time... I saw it was going to be coming on. I, I popped the tape in and I recorded it, and then I would proceed to just wear the tape out. I'm surprised I don't remember or memorize the commercials that went along with that viewing of the Did jerk. You fast forward through them? And no, no. I think I, I think I, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I was so savvy that I would pause. Like there, there was a point where I would pause between the commercials, but that's a different story of me being OCD. Anyway, this movie probably aired on television like in '86. Is when I started to get into it. And um, 
this was um, probably my first real like exposure to Steve Martin. I think that I can't remember like seeing him on Saturday Night Live because he had already been off by then. You know, he I'd seen him in other movies maybe, but this was like my first real kind of Steve Martin experience, um, and it stuck with me. And Jim, who listens and joins us on our podcast was part of that viewing experience. We loved this movie to death. Um, it was not long at all before we started to quote this movie back and forth to each other. And it hasn't stopped. No, and, and it, it would and never it stop. Um, We've named our podcast after... Horrible personnel. A, a line in the movie. And, and, and it is. It's like, again, like of all the... Fault episode four, kind of personnel, daddy issues. Like the one, one of the few positive takeaways is my dad was a movie going guy. Like, but comedies, like that's all he ever went to see. But as a kid, I would watch Hogan's Heroes with him. I remember watching Blazing Saddles. I remember going to the, going to the movies, and it was three or four times that we went to see Airplane. When I would go to Buffalo, I'd only be there for a week or two, and it was like that's all we did. Like we'd go bowling and go to movies, and I remember seeing this with him. And I can't, I'm not saying I got all like, you know. Nor should you have gotten not, all the references. Not all jokes. the jokes. It's like, no, I did not know what a condom was, those guys. Right. <laughs> and, and we've talked about things in our life that we can't not quote when things happen from different movies, from shows, from Spinal Tap. But I think this is, this and Tommy Boy are the movies I quote. And, I, and this is not hyperbole. I don't think I've gone a day in my life without at least one jerk reference. Wow. Yeah. I'm almost there. You know, I would walk into a room and we'll look at how to reconfigure a room. And I'll look and, you know, we'll walk into some sort of closet and I'll go, this is perfect. We don't have to change this at all. Where do you keep your garbage? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god every time yeah every time yeah, yeah. where do you keep your garbage and, and, and over the like the next like little bit of talking about this we'll think about almost every line you know is it it's like uh, will you ever hear the city of st louis mentioned oh my god in your life no every time st louis comes up no navin johnson word association uh steve martin jerk carl reiner jerk Rob Reiner. Jerk. <laughs> White people can't dance. <laughs> Jerk. Thermoses. Jerk. <laughs> you know. Ukuleles. Jerk. Yeah, you go like down the thing. It's like, we should do a sideshow on Carl Reiner. We should do a sideshow on Rob Reiner. But it will always lead back to the jerk. Well, let's talk about the details of the jerk. So the jerk, as you have here in our notes, the jerk has been... Um, Widely released to the public in 1979, it was written by Steve Martin and directed by Carl Reiner. I think they kind of share co-writing. There was a couple other writers, but nobody of like no, or nobody that was like, oh, he wrote this with Spielberg, you know? Right? I think, no, I thought that Carl Reiner may have also dabbled in the actual script of what this. Ha what had happened is Steve had had compiled a bunch. Steve, listen to me. You're right. Well, you uh, know. So, we've, we've known him long enough. <laughs> Steve Martin is like, you know, he had a bunch of like, it wasn't a script, but he had a bunch of well thought out like notes and basically the, the, the premise of it. And he had shopped it at the time. He's doing, he's doing stadium tours, you know, with his comedy, he's selling out places like Madison square garden and, 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 and stuff doing his comedy. He is the biggest comedy figure in the world and had been for a few years. I mean, he, he, he was it. And so this is around 77, like the height of him doing the stand-up. And he thought the next step is going into movies and he thought it was going to be an easy transition. It was, a, it took a couple years. I mean, this is his first starring role. And then it's like, 
Paramount, I think it was Paramount, passed. And then somebody who was part of the development of it left and went over to Universal and said and called Steve and said, yeah, let's I can get it done over here. And then that's when Steve Martin decided he wanted to bring Carl Reiner in. And one of my favorite stories is like they wanted a one word title or something like that, but they wanted something. And, and I guess Carl Reiner said something like, you know, Dondieski is like the idiot. And that's where oh, Dostoevsky is the idiot. So it was derivative of that to come up with like right. the jerk. They want this epic tale like the idiot, but but to kind of sum up, they want to be able to sum up the movie with one word. So I will be referencing Wikipedia a little bit in this to kind of fill in the blanks. Basing the film proposal it was on a line from his act. It was never easy for me. I was born a poor black child, which I didn't know was from his act until many years later. But, uh, I mean, this was, if you're not familiar with the movie The Jerk, wow. And secondly, I guess here's a quick rundown. So, Navin Johnson is an adopted white child. Unbeknownst to himself. Unbeknownst. <laughs> he believes he's black. Right. He, he's adopted by a black family from the South. Left on a doorstep. Yep. But they raised him as if he were one of us. And uh, on his birthday, when his mother presented him with his birthday dinner of tuna fish sandwich wrapped in no no that was uh, his, a his brother ended up wrapping uh, right 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 like he likes it yeah like, like uh, a tuna fish sandwich on white bread, <laughs> a tab and a couple of Twinkies. <laughs> you really like that shit, don't you? <laughs> and he go you know goes running to his room crying, and his mom comes in. It's like you're feeling different again, right? It's about time I tell you, you're not a natural born child, but we raised you like you one of our home. You mean I'm going to stay in this color <laughs> forever? <laughs> I love you with the color of a baboon's ass. <laughs> yep. So he decides that he was going to go out on his own and find his calling because that night he hears a song playing on the radio that his grandmother left on while you know she's in bed. And he's listening to a radio station from St. Louis that is playing sort of like smooth jazz, smooth jazz. but then it transitions to kind of uh, waltz music like Lawrence Welk type music the whitest fucking music you can possibly imagine like whiter than the tuna fish sandwich on white bread <laughs> right exactly and then all of a sudden his feet start to uncontrollably tap to the beat to the song and he then stands up and starts snapping his fingers to the beat and then he's like entranced by this. Like, it's like this force of nature calling him. And he gets out of bed and he wakes his grandmother and he wakes up his whole family. Grandma, grandma watch this. Right? Now watch. Now watch. And he's snapping in time to the music. And they're like, Yeah. Well, if this is out there, think of what more could be out there. This is the kind of music that makes me want to go out and be somebody. And then so he decides to go off on his own and go to St. Louis because that's where the radio station was uh, based out of. And so he starts to hitchhike. So this is crucial. Recently, like, you know, not recently, Wild Wild World, you know, you go the Cannonball Run. There's always been cameos. And now recently, you know, in Thor Ragnarok, there was a great cameo from Matt Damon, like an unexpected, tiny, you know, throwaway kind of cameo. Just one second type, you know, and in Deadpool the same thing. You're like, this level person is doing this role <laughs> for a second, you know what yep. I mean? And so Navin R. Johnson is going to hitchhike, so he, he gets a pep talk from his dad about uh, what to watch out for in the world, which includes... 
the Lord, the Lord loves, loves a, a working, working man, man and never trust Whitey. Right. <laughs> and if you get it, if you get it, his mother says, uh, "And I hope you find whatever it is you're looking for." And, and then his stepbrother, or then his brother, says to him, "If you do find it, see, see a doctor, doctor and get, get rid, rid of, of it. it. See right. a doctor and get rid of it." Lord loves a working man. Don't trust Whitey. See a doctor and get rid of it. So he's at the far left side of his family, small like crop. Like a sharecropper. Uh, sharecropper, thank you. Yeah. Like it's little sharecropper estate. And he's got his World War One flight, you know, jacket and cap and goggles on. Yep. And and he's uh he goes to hitchhike and cut to the family eating dinner hours later. <laughs> it's giving away dark. But here's here's why I tell you this. Finally, it's like they're like, Oh, I wonder how Navin's doing. Sister looks out the window. Navin, I standing in the same spot. You know, good. I think I see a car coming. No, it's a truck. Truck pulls up. Where are you headed? St. Louis. Where are you headed? To the end of this fence. I'm going that way. Hop in. And the truck driver is... Rob Reiner. Who, at this point of his career, is one of the biggest television stars. Yeah, he played Meathead on All in the Family, uh, but happened to be the son of the director. So, you but, know, they but, had an in. And he's probably friends with Steve Martin at this point. I mean, they probably... Do, yeah, because Carl Reiner's probably developing this for Steve it, a year plus in development. But But when you get... And that's it. You never see him again. You yeah. see him on screen 10 seconds? And I'm good seconds? I'm good for the occasional shameful admission on this show. I will shamefully admit now that up until last year I did not know or realize that that was Rob Reiner. Right, cuz he's shaved, he doesn't he, look like meathead. Exactly. He doesn't have a he has clean shaved, it's dark. Um he has that fake country accent. Um, chewing a big wad exactly so you kind of have to go is that rob yeah that's rob reiner okay that makes sense and and that's it that's the whole scene with them and it's like a guy i don't know if he won emmys but i know you know all the family top 10 show for the previous like six years running something like that right and so naven r johnson makes his way into st louis but he makes a pit stop at a gas station run by jackie mason to go potty right do you guys uh, have a bathroom? Customers only. I'm a customer. I don't see a car. I just need enough to fill up this lighter. Wow. And my wife wanted me to stay home today. And to think, I would have missed a hole fill up on an entire lighter. And so he hands him the key that's attached to the rim of a, like a just like a car, car tire rim. Tire rim. <laughs> yeah. And don't walk away with it. Okay. Stop. Where, where our offices is for a football team, the bathrooms are on the first floor, and you got to go to security get a key for it. And he literally, every time he hands me the key, I can't not say, and don't walk away with it. <laughs> like, every time. <laughs> I will never be handed the key to go to anything ever without saying it. I forget how Jackie Mason realizes that he doesn't have a home. He, uh, he um, how, what did he say to Steve Martin to get him to work at the gas station? Hey, you in there. Putsy, you want to be president of Texaco Oil? Sure. Then clean up the toilets in there. Then I'll be president of Texaco Oil? Not even working for me five minutes, and already he wants to be president of Texaco Whatever Oil. happened to working your way up? <laughs> and so he but hi- sir, I don't work for you. Not even for a dollar ten an hour? You can't see the face. His eyes bug out of his head. Cut to... Him writing his, I think it's the first letter. It was the, is that the first letter he wrote home? Yes. And he's like, I don't want to say how much I'm making, 
Let's just say it's a lot. Right. And closed is $2. He writes back home, and he sends money back home to his parents in every letter. It's a running theme throughout the movie. So he's making money. He's uh, sleeping under a car in a garage at the gas station because he doesn't have a home. He's just, you know, making his way into the big city. And uh, Mr. Hartunian, played by Jackie Mason, discovers this, and he goes, Do you sleep under the car? Here, come with me. And he shows him into the men's room. And a guy's like using the urinal, and he's about, Jackie Mason's about to open another door inside the bathroom. Steve Martin goes, This place is great. I can put my books over here. The customers can come in. I won't bother them. They won't bother me. We can move the toilet over here. We can raise the platform an extra. A couple of inches to create the illusion of two rooms. Create a flow. (laughs) Yeah. So it goes on and on, and then he shows him a back room. But before he takes him to the back room, he goes, oh, no, no, no. It's it's over here. It's not here. And then Steve Martin goes, I couldn't afford this anyway. (laughs) Shows him a broom closet, and he's like, I can bring a pillow from the house, a couple blankets. It's a masterpiece of understatement. Right. Which that is one of the many lines I... Every time I walk into a new room or something, you know, or my, you know, little like mouth breeder children hands me like, you know, piece of crappy artwork. I'm sorry. Something from the heart that I will treasure forever. I look at it. It's a masterpiece of understatement. Right. So then we uh, we get a little further into the working life of Navin R. Johnson at the gas, st- gas station, Mr. Hartunian's gas station. He um, is left alone on a Sunday so that Mr. Hartunian can spend some quality time with his trophy wife. And uh, some uh, some near do wells happen upon the station in their, I'm sure, legitimately purchased vehicle. And they try to buy gas with Mrs. Newsbomb's stolen credit card. Right. And so, so Navin looks at the card and he goes, Thank you, Mrs. Newsbomb. Oh, I'm Mr. Newsbomb. That's my wife's card. Oh, yeah, I can vouch for him. Well, as long as we got a voucher, that's another one that I like. As we're going through the whole movie, oh, this is only another, to quote the movie. Yeah, exactly. This, is, this whole podcast is a one large self-indulgent theater. So he's filling up the gas, but he's just casually waiting for the gas to fill the car. And he opens up a newspaper, and within I think two nanoseconds, he opens up the newspaper and he sees stolen. And so he calls the cops. I got him. The guys who stole Mrs. Newsbum's credit card. I got them. Right. <laughs> Don't worry, I can hold them here. I saw this trick in a movie once. And so he goes and congratulates them for being their 10th customer. And what did they win? A free oven. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he gets a rope, ties yeah. it to the axle of the car. Right, he ties it to the... Right. And then ties it to a church next to the gas he station. He ties it to the... Uh, the no, right, he the, ties it to like a, um, a spigot. spigot. Yeah. Right. To on, a, on a church. Right, across the street. And then he's feeling kind of smug and full of himself like he's, you know, he's pulled one over on them. And so uh, he goes back to the phone with the dispatcher on the other end and he goes, yeah, uh-huh, uh, don't worry, they're going to be here a while. <laughs> yeah, I rigged it. And then all of a sudden, the guys are like, you guys want to stick around for an oven mitt? Nah. And they start to floor it. And then all of a sudden, you see the the uh, the tension building on the, the rope. And then it pulls the spigot out from the wall. And eventually, the entire, I guess it's like an addition to the church <laughs> on which they're having a ceremony, a, a wedding, wedding ceremony. ceremony. Yeah. And the bride and the groom are separated. 
being being pulled away by the low rider. Yeah, uh, we're we're doing a real disservice to this movie. Now, but now we're going to get to the second best part of the gas station that ties into the first best part. The new phone books here. Gee, Mister Hartunian. Gee, Mister Hartunian. Oh my God! The new phone. The new books phone books here. here. The new phone books here. I wish I could get that excited over nothing. Nothing. Page 175. Johnson, Navin, R. I'm somebody now. This is the kind of free publicity that people would die for. Your name in print. Things are going to start happening to me now. Cut to probably one of the best character actors of its ever's day. Uh, from the mid-late 70s through the mid-late 80s. Yeah. The great M. Emmett Walsh. He, I, I honestly don't know much of his credits, even though I heard him just recently on a podcast. Um, a bad guy in everything, you right? Know, everything. I don't think he's ever played a good guy, a non-lecherous or a weird. Guy. Yeah, right. Um, so he always plays a heavy. So cut to uh, there's a random like M.M. at Walsh in the flak jacket, uh, you know, toting a rifle in his bunker somewhere. Open phone book in front of him. Closed puts his eyes. closed eyes, points his finger in the air, and then lands straight down on the phone book, which is pointing to Navin R. Johnson. Typical run-of-the-mill bastard. And he um, goes on a basically a one-man shooting spree, which is the it, it, it leads us into the... There's something wrong with these cans. He's firing away at him from probably like 300 yards away. So Jackie Mason is under a car in the bay at the thing, fixing the car, and he hears these shots. Steve Martin is standing next to a display of oil cans, and all of a sudden, the oil starts leaking out of the cans, and he thinks at first there's something wrong with cans, not knowing he's being shot at it. That's when he says, we have these defective cans. They're leaking to Jackie Mason's best line. We don't have defective cans. We have a defective poison. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that wasn't a bad check. No, no, it was, that was really good. good. I applaud that. He hates these cans. Stay away from the cans. And then he runs over to a, a window full of more cans, and then the window shatters. More cans! And he knocks the cans down, and he runs next to a Coke machine riddled with bullets. There's cans in there, too! And then uh, he finds out, he doesn't want to put holes in the cans. He wants to put holes in you. What? <laughs> And then, um, yeah, so he's on a, a, a basically a chase. And, and what then? then oh, wait, one of the great no, things about oh, no, okay. We, we, uh, we, we, I know we'll have to go back, but we, well, you glossed over the dog. You he, skip, you we skip the, the whole the, dog. We, we skip the dog. So we when skip, he gets to St. Louis, the first thing he does is he goes checks into a flea back motel, and you tell the movie. And story. in his first night there, middle of the night. A dog starts barking at his door for some reason. Dog starts barking at his door, and he opens the door. What's the matter? Is there trouble? Oh, oh. is it this? Is it this? Is there a fire? Oh, oh. So he's like, "There's a fire!" And he starts running up and down. It's a two-story, like flea bag horror, like motel, motel, yeah. like you know. Yeah, I think you can rent rooms by the hour. <laughs> and he starts knocking on all the doors. It's fire, like fire. fire. At first, she's like, "Oh, oh, oh!" No, fire, fire. Cut to the hotel's completely empty. The fires, you know, trucks fire are engines there. are coming. Yeah. 
And then uh, they're going to call you a hero. That's what I'm going to call you, a hero. They're going to put your picture in the paper. <laughs> and then an old Chinese man, like after they realize it's a false alarm and everybody's been dragged out the street at 4 a.m., it's like, you don't call that dog hero. You call that dog shithead. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shithead. Which he pursued to call shithead the rest of the movie. Right. But then I almost forgot about the invention. Oh, so, so that was before the Eminent Wall scene. The Eminent Wall scene. So, uh, oh, this oh, is the Bill oh, Macy oh, scene. The Bill Macy scene. Thank you. And so, which very by, important to this which, podcast. Which, which, by the way, I, I really think that um, <laughs> not Carl Reiner. Who owes him a check? Norman Lear. Norman Lear owes him a check. So Bill Macy pulls in, and he's a rich businessman. You know, fancy car. And as he's getting out, three, four times, his glasses are slipping off of his nose, and. One of the greatest lines, damn these glasses. Yeah, damn these glasses, son. And so Steve Martin, I damn thee, pointing at the glasses. And so as Bill Macy is uh, you know, going to go to the bathroom, like, you know, uh Steve Martin says, I think I can fix those. William Macy goes off to the little men's room. And don't walk away with it. And Steve Martin takes his glasses and he goes out back while filling it up, and he proceeds to invent the OptiGrab. All you. This is where he invents the OptiGrab. I, my name on Twitter is OptiGrabber, named after this great invention by Navin R. Johnson. What Navin Johnson realizes is that as you're pulling the glasses on and off, you're putting pressure against the uh, against the uh, what do you call the the, the 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 what do you call these things? The frame. The fr- yeah, you're putting pressure against the the the, the legs or whatever the the, 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 yeah, the frame. Um, uh, so he put a little gripper on the bridge so you could basically pull the glasses off and on, you know, and putting the pressure right in the center. And Bill Macy puts the glasses on and he goes, use the handle. And then he holds the handle and... Uh, so he tightens the glasses so they fit better, yeah. but with the handle coming off and on, it was easier to take off and on. And it protrudes out like a half an inch. Yeah. It's just like this little like hooked handle with, and it actually has... Like a little a brake pad on there, so that it rests against uh, on your nose. And um, Bill Macy goes, you know, I can make a lot of money selling shit like this. Well, I'll make you a partner. Oh, yeah, we'll I'll make you a partner. We'll split it fifty-fifty. And so you know, he thinks nothing of it, and he goes off his merry way. And then we cut to the MM at Walshine, where he's being chased away by a madman. And so now our hero, a true hero, Navin R. Johnson decides he's going to not make a run for it to save himself, but to draw fire away from his beloved Mr. Hartunian. Yes, so he uh, hops in the, 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 the first vehicle he can get his hands on, which happens to be a car that's being worked on in the garage that has no tires. <laughs> Just rims. <laughs> Just rims. Just rims and cement, it's a, and, and You thought the OJ chase scene was slow. slow. Wait till you see this scene. So it's a slow uh, chase but he calls his dog shithead. The dog comes running down the street, jumps in it. But then he he does. He's like, you know, one of those fly-by-night fiesta traveling shows. But it's like there's a dirt little parking lot with a fence maybe 40 yards away. Right. So he ditches the car, runs for the fence, and you take it from here. So Naven runs through the fence, and uh, then all of a sudden M. Emmett Walsh just gunman pulls up and he stops at the fence and he looks at the sign on the fence that says carnival personnel only damn and then so basically this madman who was trying to murder somebody draws the line at breaking and entering and trespassing on carnival grounds and so 
He's also trying to get Naven in trouble for crossing into the carnival personnel area and going, Hey! Hey! You're not carnival personnel! He's not carnival personnel! Yeah. And so we hear Naven dictating another letter to his parents saying that um, Mr. Hartunian, you know, he apologized to Mr. Hartunian and uh, that he had to miss work. And he said, don't be a putz. Go and see the world. You've already seen me. <laughs> yeah, me you've seen. You've seen. There you go. He decides to join the carnival and he becomes a weight guesser at the carnival. The whole process of becoming the weight guesser, uh, and this is one of my favorite lines, yet something else that I say, not daily, but a week hasn't gone by in my life since 1979, where I haven't said, it's a profit deal. Oh my God, yeah. You can have anything on this shelf, anything at all. He's not good at guessing people's weights. Right. He's having a real hard time. He feels like he's stealing, like, I shouldn't have this job. I'm not good at it. I'm losing all this money. And that's when the carnival barker, the owner of the carnival, you know, comes by. And he says, like, you know, explains, like, how much these knickknacks cost. Like, they literally are pennies on the dollar. Right. You have pulled in $22 and given away 50 cents worth of crap, which is a profit of $21.50. And then he walks away, and Naven says to himself, it's a profit deal. It takes the pressure off. <laughs> so this isn't like the regular Fiesta shows we see now where it's just like, you know, the Tilt-A-Whirl and the, the little guess your weight, steal your money games. There was a stunt show involved, and the Star Wars stunt show was uh, – it, what, it was not Leather Tuscadero <laughs> or her sister Pinky, but it might as well been. It was Patty. Caitlin Adams, played the, by Caitlin Adams. The, the, the tough biker chick. You know, she was, I mean, don't forget, it's like we've talked about on the podcast, your biggest sports entity in like 1979, we're talking Reggie Jackson, we're talking like the, the Tony Dorsets, we're, we're, we're talking, you know, um, Kareem. And we're talking Evil Knievel, <laughs> you know? So, you know, the, the whole Fonzarelli thing. So she is not just like this daredevil woman. She complete like... Is no, she rides a motorcycle and she like runs. She rides like off of ramps and into like through flaming hoops. Oh, in the Me Too movement, how do you say she's a real uh, go get it when it comes to significant others? Very aggressive and takes the uh, initiative. uh, The next day, you know, he decides she decides to make him her boyfriend, and she even asks him to give her a bite of his corn dog. And then before he hands it to her, he goes, aren't you afraid of germs? And she says, put a rubber on it. it. Bites it, hands it back. But then the next day she just shows up at his little trailer, just barges right in. And or no, she, she has her get on her motorcycle, go to her trailer. Um, cleaning lady didn't make it there that day. I think, <laughs> I think she had missed like the Wednesday cleaning, the Wednesday before and uh, ever. It's disgusting. Like, like honestly, you kind of think you're gonna get something just watching the movie. Series. Right. You wipe your feet before you leave her. Right. <laughs> uh, but and that's when he's, you know, she still has his corn dog as he enters her dwelling, and he's uh, done with it, and he looks around and says, "Where's your garbage?" Which he takes it out of his hand, takes another bite, and just throws it down on the floor. Oh, you keep it there. You know, 
You can tell a lot about the way a person lives. And looking around, I can tell you're generally an unclean person. <laughs> you are a genuinely dirty, <laughs> dirty person. person. You know what I like to do? I'd like to guess your weight. Oh, well, that would be really interesting for me. Because, see, all day long, people come and guess, I guess, their weight, but nobody guesses my weight. This will give me a whole different perspective on it. And then she grabs him by the ass and gets, like, really in there and starts squeezing it. And she, he gets really bothered, and he goes, boy, you really like to be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and then he freaks out, and he goes, wait a minute, my special purpose, my special purpose. What's your special purpose? Well, my mother said that whenever I leave home, I, I go and find my special purpose. And then she yells, well, today's, today's the day. day. Throws him down on the bed, rips off. Literally, you hear like fabric being ripped from his crotch. Yeah. And uh, she goes to town on him. So the next letter home might be my favorite one. <laughs> so he's sending money home you know, the whole way. So he writes this letter home. And uh, it, it, I think this one was addressed to, to mom or this one was addressed to grandma. But grandma's reading it on the porch. Is grandma still farting? Uh, you know, so mom's reading it. <laughs> but the brother's there. His sister-in-law's there. Right. We actually see the family, his home family, re reading the letter that was written to him. And then here's him. his mom. It's like, and next week I might be able to send some more money as I might have extra work because Patty promised me a blowjob. <laughs> she sounds really nice. And he put the little kisses here. <laughs> and the brother's listening, who is obviously more savvy to the kids' lingo, um, starts cracking up. Uh, but then, then we get to the romance. Because yeah. you can't have an epic tale Without there being a romance. Nope. So Patty and Naven, they enjoy their tryst. Um, they make love, I say love loosely, all over the park. You see them rocking in, in one of those zipper, those like high-flying zipper rides where the cab is just sort of rocking back and forth. And she professes his, <laughs> her love to him by saying, uh, you're my man. Look at my ass. Wow. You got my name tattooed. Right underneath the J's. You know, I bet more people see that than the phone, phone book. book. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but then the real romance comes when Bernadette Peters arrives. Naven is no longer guessing weight. He is now taking over uh, the engineer Fred role for the the the, uh, the, the train. The, the little train. It's the a little mini train. train. Yeah, that goes around. And it's a pretty elaborate setup for a traveling carnival, I must say. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, hey, you know, back then you couldn't dial it into the seventies. Exactly, it, it, it was all in. So he's driving the train, and then like you know, Bernadette Peters comes running over, and she's looking for her. I don't think it's her nephew. No, she's babysitting, she's babysitting, for, babysitting a for a friend, and she's trying to describe the kid who's missing, uh, who's wearing. Oh, what does his T-shirt say? Um, he's got some really curly hair, and he's wearing a shirt that says "bullshit" on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so uh, as they're talking, and it's like she. Is the the complete antithesis of Patty. Like she, she's the good girl. The good girl, like dressed. You know, Patty's dressed in black. She's dressed in like light colors. Like you know, Patty has like the short crew cut dark hair. And there are good witches hairs. and bad witches. Yes, yes. She's Glinda the good. She witch. is Glinda. And uh, and all of a sudden he turns around and and Bernadette Peters, like you know, uh, little wart there has taken off in the train, which Steve Martin now has to chase down. And as it goes. 
of the tunnel, he smacks his head. And Don't tr- worry, I was protected by the bill of my engineer, Fred Cap. <laughs> and so he uh, finally gets a kid, rescues a kid, but he dropped his wallet on the no, way. No, before he ran off, she, he asked her to hold oh, a to hold of, this. Here, hold my wallet and this oil can <laughs> and this. And so she's holding all this shit while he's going to rescue this kid that she's babysitting. And then finally he gets the uh, control of the locomotive and slows down and then... Uh, he um, goes to get back his things, and um, she hands him his oil can and uh, with, with whatever else in his wallet. Oh, and this fell out. Which was a condom. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, then they you know, start to talk a little bit more, and um, the next scene is they... Um, they go to, to Navin's the back of a trailer that, that Navin is now living out of, and it's a converted cup of pizza truck, which I guess is an invention of the movie because nobody's ever heard of a cup of pizza. But it's the best cup of pizza in town. Well, he drove the old cup of pizza out of business. Right. People come from all over for this guy's cup of pizza. And so they're eating cup of pizza on their first date in the back of this truck. And then um, all of a sudden, who comes up but Patty. Patty. And then she rides up on, she basically rides the motorcycle into the truck because there's a ramp there for some reason. And uh, have you seen a p- pizza in a cup without a ramp? I have not. I've not go. seen a, pizza, right. a cup of pizza truck without a ramp. So she rides in and she goes, Who's this? Some piece of ass? And he goes, No, she's no piece of ass. I mean, what are you doing? You're, we're married. And she, she, Patty knocks out Steve Martin. And as for you, Miss Blondie. And she goes to town on her, like the Glenda, the good witch, you know, drops. Down goes Frazier. Uh, yeah, down goes Frazier. Yeah, Marie knocks out Patty with one punch, and Navin wakes, looks up and goes, Wow, you protected me. You must really love me. And then it cuts to a scene with them on the beach. And this is when the uh, the tuba playing uh, comes up because most romantic walks on the beach. But it's one of the more lovely, it's probably one of the, I could probably get choked up singing the song And then with Bernadette Peters Barchi somehow was walking along the beach the whole time with the tuba. Well, yeah. 
was a trumpet. Trumpet. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so they, um, they, they, their romance flourishes and flash forward. They're, they're happy. They're together, regular people. And then uh, Bill Macy finds, um, finds David R. Johnson. And he's been looking all over for him. And at first, well, he sends oh, him no, a no. letter. Right. It's Emmett. It's Emmett. M. Emmett Walsh comes by and tries to. He. They're living in like a sort of like a one bedroom kind of apartment. They, then M. Emmett Walsh is seen coming up to the apartment. And Naven freaks out. He's like, oh my God, this, this killer uh, who's been trying to blow my brains out found me somehow. He uh, barges out of the apartment, runs past him, and there's like a, a foot chase. And which ends up in like a junkyard, and eventually M. Emmett Walsh reveals himself as reformed, and uh, that was the old me. Uh, I was quit smoking. No, I had just gotten divorced, and I had just given up smoking. Um, so he hands him a letter, which is from Bill Macy's character, uh, telling him to come to this office building in St. Louis, and he goes there, and it's he walks into this building with like a reception desk. It's an office building, like a pretty very nice, very nice office. And all you see are, like, glasses everywhere on display. There's a sign that says OptiGrab. And he doesn't know what the hell's going on. And he walks in and he goes, Naven, my boy! And he proceeds to tell him that he turned his little invention of the glasses handle into uh, a phenomenon. It's a, it's a fad that, that got... Sp- you can't buy glasses without having an OptiGrabber on him. A, an OptiGrab, right. Use the OptiGrab. So he tells him... This is wildly successful. Hands him a check, and so it's for two hundred and fifty dollars. No, two hundred and fifty big ones. Two hundred and fifty big ones. Thank you. So he takes a check to the bank for two hundred and fifty big ones, and he's endorsing it and he's signing it over to the cashier. And the cashier's like sweating, like profuse, like "Oh my god, oh my god!" Because this, and as Steve Martin is like, he goes, "Are are you cashing this?" He goes, "No, I'll deposit." 200, 200 of the donuts. donuts now. But then, of course, he had to show two forms of identification. His, um, what was it? His It wasn't his driver's license. God, the second one. I know it was, it was a, like his. It was, I know what the other thing was. His, his NASA application. My astronaut application, application form. I got everything wrong but, but the, the date, date of birth. birth. I didn't make it. It's, so, he's endorsing the check and he writes down out loud. Um, the amount on a slip. And he goes, uh, 250, looks over, thousand dollars. And his head makes a complete 360. 360. And then he reveals in his next letter to his parents that um, he's headed big. And he buys the McMansion of all McMansions. And it's what is like four levels above obtruse <laughs> like <laughs> well he's also describing like he's writing a letter home to his parents and he's writing a remember and he's also kind of waxing nostalgic a little bit but in a weird way where he goes um and remember how we used to chit chat you and i dad about how i always wanted a bed shaped like a clam and s-shaped hedges and my own disco dancers and uh Giant purple room with a giraffe, and he's like, <laughs> you know, talks about like the whole estate, and it, and it is. It's like this gigantic, gigantic. Your standard floor. rap, uh, like your MC Hammer kind of, right, yeah, right, cribs. Right. Like this is MTV Cribs uh, uh, beta. And so, you know, one of my, you know, one of my favorite things is him and Bernadette are playing tennis, and they come off their tennis court, and their water bubbler has 
there's two water bubbles, one with red wine and one with white wine, and the dispenser is, is stacked glasses. Yeah, stacked <laughs> like, but they come out of the same thing, like they're Dixie cups. Right. And he goes, "We required the sophistication in two months to take some people a lifetime." <laughs> Cut to they're at the most fanciest restaurant you can imagine. I'm letting you take this over. So they're sitting down at the table, and um, the waiter comes by with their hors d'oeuvre, and um, Oh, it wasn't their order, was it their order? No, it was their meal. I mean, it was the meal. He comes down and lays down the meal in front of him. And uh, Naven looks down at the meal, and immediately he says to Marie, Don't look down. Don't look down. Waiter! There are snails on her plate. <coughs> you would think in a fancy restaurant like this, you can find a way to keep the snails off the food. There's so many snails on that plate, I can hardly see the food. Now you go back there and you get us those grilled cheese sandwiches you talked us out of. <laughs> Two boobs! That's what they take us for. Two boobs, you think, at these prices. And bring us some fresh wine. Something this year. <laughs> now this old stuff. Uh, yeah, so 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 it cuts back and forth to the like he's driving a huge car and showing up with like, you know, Van Gogh's like sticking out of the back. Now, now <laughs> I know it's this, like a convertible this, with these This paintings. is where we're going to take a sidebar in the in the jerk universe. Joe's experience with The Jerk is different than mine because I watched it in the movie theater and you saw it on TV. Right. And this is where – there's actually – we glossed over it. There was a scene back in the carnival before he left the carnival that is was only on TV. Right. It's never made the DVDs or Blu-rays. Now, the reason why they were – they were – it was a practice back in the 80s when they would cut like scenes, like almost entire scenes out. Uh, because of content, because it was a rated kind of R. I think it was an R movie. They cut certain scenes out that weren't fit for broadcast, but to compensate, they would put in deleted scenes. Right. So there were scenes, and which is the one you're talking about? Well, the so, so there's one where he's on the tilt world, like like you know, it's like Marie and him, you know, have a breakup. Yep. And. Uh, and he won't come off. Is it the tilt? The one where you're standing up and it spins around so fast, it's like oh, you're the centripetal force. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're, you're stuck to the wall. And he, he, you know, so your your back is up against the wall and you're strapped in, and he wouldn't come off it. And he was on it so much they had to take a crowbar and physically pry him off of it. I forget that scene. right because it's 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 like and it does if you saw it on and is he wobbling 50, right? He yeah, barely walk. I hadn't thought about that scene until just now. seen a man so broken that he had to spin. I went through every emotion up there. From anger to, uh, what's another emotion? Fear? Hate. Hate. Went from anger to hate to, to, uh, uh hunger. Love. 
love. I went from anger to hate to love to, uh, to Syracuse. It's a city. But the, now, now he's rich, and this is again. I've I've seen the movie at least. 150 to at least 150 times. Let's throw it in there. And that and that's without exaggeration. And so I've only seen these scenes a few times. It's when he's in his room, like his gigantic office in the house, a huge desk, and the butler comes in. Sir, there are some people here to see you from some charities. No! Send them away! I'm much too wealthy to be taking money from a charity. <laughs> No, sir. Oh, yeah. They want money from you. They want you to give. And so there, there's a cattlecade of different people coming in for, for money. One of them is from a cat rescue, which is – is so the great thing is, I mean, this is, again – Good parts of the movie were taken from his stand-up routine. It's like going way back. When the Marx Brothers would do a movie, they would tour with the movie. They would put it as a vaudeville act, and they would tour to see which bits worked and which bits didn't. Uh, Lucille Ball did the same thing with I Love Lucy. They didn't think it was going to work as a show. She put it as a touring show together to refine it. So when they started shooting I Love Lucy, I mean, it would, they knew what was going to work and what didn't. So cat juggling was part of his old routine. Routine. So there's a guy who coming like you know a guy from Mexico and he's, he's like a Mexican priest and he's trying to raise money for these orphan kitties that they've rescued and they have like he has like the screen set up and the old eight millimeter movie playing of these evil henchmen in Mexico having these back alley animal shows juggling cats. Yeah, it's like a cockfight. People are like taking bets. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know what you're betting on. Like, it's like how many cats he can actually juggle at once. But of course, do you know the who's playing the cat juggler? It's Steve Martin, right? It's Steve Martin in like black hair, <laughs> oh, it's all the the creepy mustache, right? The, the old '30s oh. villain mustache. But then there's, you're talking about a deleted scene. Uh, there's a guy who comes in with like a big ten gallon hat, like typical Texas oil baron or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? He has to fly his friends to the Super Bowl. But but the seats on the plate, it seats four, and they're just they're just worn out, and I'm just I'm just embarrassed to have my friends <laughs> see the seats on my plane like this, and Steve Martin is crying, right. crying. <laughs> openly weeping. So so yeah, so he's there to get money to reupholster the seats on his private plane so he can fly his friends to the Super Bowl, right? Um, and then it cuts to another scene of. Uh, Navin walking around his pool outside with um, some um, legitimate businessmen. Forget about it. Yeah, forget about it. Um, so <laughs> they're talking about some um, some real estate investments, but then of course they're also talking about the hazards of certain investments. And you can take it from here. Yeah, because because. Just Joe knows I have no problem walking into the racist. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, oh, is this a racist scene? So they. Uh, they're going, and they're, he's walking around the pool, and you kind of have to know the era. And Elvis was famous for being a big black belt. Like, even, like, heavy said Elvis was always walking around, you know, uh, Graceland in, in uh and a, a gi. And a gi, but an Elvis gi. It was, yes. it was, it was, it was a bedazzle. <laughs> like, 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 I think Elvis discovered or invented bedazzling. And so he had very much, you know, the, 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 the gi on. 
and these heavy set, you know, Italian guys are walking around the pool and they're trying to tell him that, look, we want to buy this property, but we don't want any blacks living in it. And but they don't want to say black, so they're like, you know, we gotta uh, we gotta keep away the eggplants, eggplants. You know, um, yeah, we don't want any gardens. In we there. don't want any vegetables. No, uh, no, um, uh, uh, you know the uh, the, uh, the, the the jungle bunnies. Oh right, they would eat the vegetables. Because <laughs> you know, and all the guys are looking at each other like, oh, how does he not get this? And He's so, like, boss, can I say, we want to keep out the ends. And then that's when Steve Martin says, Sir, you happen to be talking to an end. And he rips off his robe and reveal. Uh, he rips off his robe, which reveals like this, like his bare chest, but like a black belt around it. And just goes to town on the mafiosa. Yeah, at Bruce Lee style. Just, just you know, it's it, it's your, you know, again, you can't have one of these epic pictures without the battle scene, without the rise, without the love story. And he kicks the crap out of like four or five of these big, heavy set mafiosa guys, and then he. Goes to kick the last henchman in the balls. Ding! Uh, Iron Balls McGinty. I didn't know he was going to be Iron Balls McGinty. But, you know, it cuts to, and it cuts from there to, as he was saying earlier with his dad, and it was a flash for it when he said, oh, my own disco room, my own disco dancers. An elaborate party is going on. I mean, there are hundreds of guests. Completely disco, coked out. Yeah, um, they got the uh, Saturday Night Fever like tiled, lighted tiled floor flashing. They got the disco ball rolling, and then um, they they have a, a TV kind of going. It's a, one of those rear projection TVs because they didn't have big screens back then. They had the rear projections. Yeah. Marie comes in. Oh, everybody, everybody, this is it. This is the big interview. Naven's going to be on television. Stop Stop the music. Let's watch. Let's watch. So it's a 60-minute type show. Right. It's a, it's a whole fluff piece. I'm here with Naven R. Johnson, inventor of the OptiGrab. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Who is Naven Johnson? Naven is a complex character, and then all of a sudden, it's like a hard cut, and the interviewer says, during the production of this piece... We learned something new about the Navin R. Johnson and OptiGrab story. There, I guess there was a, a group of people who were um, experiencing some difficulties with the OptiGrab invention. It was a sort of class action group led by the famed director, Carl Reiner. So it, it interviews Carl Reiner, and it's like, it, it's something, $100 million lawsuit. It's crazy, big money. And he starts to explain how the OptiGrab refocuses your eyes so it makes you cockeyed. And so it draws your eyes to it like a magnet. He goes, and it, it, like the devastating consequences, and it cuts to him. Here's a scene from the latest movie I did. And there's a car that's driving down the street. And about to hit a cliff, and it goes over the cliff. And as it's in the air, like two seconds over the cliff, you hear cut. <laughs> and then it's like and then, and you, then hear, like, <laughs> you hear the crash and it bursts in the flames had i not been wearing those glasses those actors may be alive today and so he he announces this modest it's a class action lawsuit we're representing all these people and how dare they release a product to the public they didn't have the decency to test on prisoners <laughs> <laughs> cut to the courtroom and naven is um 
Um, he, he's uh, he's just nervous. Like I don't even think he has a lawyer next to him. He's just sort of like alone at his at his. Uh, but still, all elvished out. He has a suit, but it's so right. But he's also drinking like that fancy drink because in the earlier in the movie he wanted he saw like this one of those like gaudy you know fancy drinks with like an umbrella in it in a magazine and it's a business guy drinking it and he saw it as sort of a status symbol and so he's uh, hearing the judge. Um, read the sentence that uh, he has to personally pay back each and every one of the customers of OptiGrab like a hundred million dollars or something. Each one, no, gets, ten million. Each each one gets one dollar and nine cents. Right, class. Honey, can't you see that I'm drinking? But the judge, of course, is reading the settlement, and he takes off his glasses and he's cockeyed. Like all these people are cockeyed. Case dismissed and he misses like the gavel misses uh and then it cuts to uh naven back in his office with a desk covered in checkbooks like he's been <laughs> instead of having a bank run off all of the checks by computer he's handwriting each and every one of the checks to each and every one of the defendants for one dollar and nine cents Paid to the order of Iron Balls McGinty. One dollar and nine cents. And then so now he's lost it. He's been doing this for days, whether he's coming down or of a kokai or just drunk and like he's not the man that Bernadette like, you know, fell in love with. Yep. And then um Bernadette Peters comes in and she's weeping. She comes up to him and he goes, I just heard a song on the radio that reminded me of the way we were. What was it? The way we were. <laughs> uh, and, and he tells her, you know, it's like, uh, this is nothing. We're going to rebound from this. I'm going to buy you a diamond so big you're going to puke. I don't want to puke. I don't want wealth. I just want the man I fell in love with. And, and so the fight escalates. She basically throws him out, and this is this, this is the jerk scene. This is the bottom bottom. Like he's hit rock bottom. We're witnessing rock bottom. We we mentioned all the quotable lines. You know, we mentioned lots of the quotable <laughs> lines. You can't mention the whole quotable, but this is the one where he's he's staggering out of the mansion and he's collecting no, what he needs. Well, no, he says he starts off by saying. I don't need anything. I'm Navin R. Johnson, inventor. I don't need anything. I don't need you. I don't need any of this stuff. I need this. <laughs> Just randomly picks up an ashtray. Right, except this ashtray. But that's it. Just this ashtray and nothing else. The ashtray and this paddle game. Just the ashtray and the paddle game. And not yes. one other thing except that chair. <laughs> Just the chair, chair the ashtray, and the paddle game. game. And my dog. <laughs> who growls at him. I don't need my dog. But as he continues walking out, now, again, we did a poor job of leading up to this place. Before, before when Marie leaves him, um, Navin R. Johnson is, when they're in their one-bedroom dwelling, before, oh, I can't believe we left this out. Before they get the money, before you find that, he's in love, she's in love, but he is, uh, he's in the bathtub. Yep. And he's oh like, my God. You ready? You ready for me? You ready? So he's in the bathtub and he starts singing a song. Two, three, four. I'm picking out a thermos for you. Not an ordinary thermos. 
I'm picking out a thermos for you. And maybe a barometer too. And what else can I buy so on me you'll rely? A rear end thermometer too. And then you hear like, you know, the dog barking from the other room. And and but she she had tied a note to the dog's collar. And he's like, Who's the luckiest guy, guy in the world? world? You, you are. are. And then she clo- she walks out like she the door's closed into the bathroom, but she had already left the apartment. Who's the luckiest girl? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Come on in and jump in the tub. No, will you marry me? me? And, then, and, then, and then the dog comes running in, jumps in the tub, and this this is Steve Martinish at his Steve Martin. <laughs> so the dog jumps in, he sees the note tied. So now the note is half waterlogged. Not you, shithead Marie. And so he takes a note off the collar and he starts trying to read it. Do you want to try this? Dear Navin, I'm down to my thought I'm Marie! He, he completely understands it. Marie! And he goes, he's stark naked. He's running out of the apartment. And the only thing he has to cover himself is, is, a, is the, the neighbor neighbor's dog. dog, little Chihuahua. So he picks it up and he's holding it in front of his crotch. There's another dog. He picks it up and he's holding his ass and he's looking left and he's right and he's calling out for Marie. Right, he's covering his ass and his crotch with two animals. So so this is important because flash forward now, he's storming out of the apartment, or the, the mansion, and he's like collecting things in this thermos. So the thermos that he had saying about earlier is one of the few possessions. Right. But as he's going out of the house, that's, that's, my, that's one of the things that was his one thing that he needed. every time i leave my house that's another one of the things it's like i don't need it i need this no he didn't have the thermos you're we're miss he's he's staggering down the street with this like he's dragging a right, chair yeah, the chair he's dragging the like, remote the, the remote, remote control yeah he's the paddle game the ashtray he's dragging all this crap in a rope he has rope and a slipper and a, ro- and a robe and slippers and he sees this woman like this homeless woman with like a cart and uh a possession, and he, and then all of a sudden, she. You, you see, the, like the next scene is the woman has all of his stuff, and he has her thermos, right. which is what reminds him of Marie. So he's just caressing the thermos, and then we get to the end of the movie, and that's where we pick up where we had met him at the beginning. This bum. Um, just hanging outside of a movie theater with a bunch of other homeless guys, basically wrapping up his life story. And then uh, all of a sudden, like, the alleyway gets illuminated. Yep. And, and you hear somebody yell. It's like, any of you bums know a Navin Johnson? Hi, Navin Johnson. Inventor of the OptiGrab. I'm the inventor of the OptiGrab. And it's his family. Yeah, right. He goes, I was just telling these guys. I was just telling these guys about him. Right. Out pops his family from this, you know, station wagon, and Marie's with him. His family from Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, turns out that from the $2 or the big money he was making at $1.10 at Mr. Hartoonian Station to getting the 250 donuts <laughs> check you know dad had been uh putting it in soybean futures right 
And now they're rich. Yes. Then they collect Naven from the streets and bring him back into Make the, him uh, sit in the way back because he hasn't had a shower in a little bit. So so they get back and they're in the same. So they have the money that Naven did. Like Naven had sent them so much money. Dad invested it so wisely. So as Naven is wrapping up the story and saying, you know, that he moved back home and but they had to make a bigger house. It's the same crappy style. You know, old as much shack. As we love the old home. We had to tear it down and build us a new one. It's the same thing, just bigger. Right. And basically, I think they just zoomed in closer on it. <laughs> just made it, yeah. And, and but now they're dancing, and Naven fits right in. Yeah, like, he, like he's like, got soul. He's got soul. Right. And 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 uh, Bernadette and Peters Bernadette. Is and they're all wearing white, and it's all kind of like it's like a gospely kind of Baptist, uh, rejoiceful kind of moment, and uh, it, it's a, it's a happy ending. So the movie itself cost four million dollars, which is a not a nothing like because Airplane was what a two million dollar budget. That, that was up. like next year. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a four million dollar budget, and again, Jackie Mason is huge at the time. You know, yep. Steve Martin's the biggest thing. Carl Reiner is Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner's been Carl Reiner since the sixties. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was a modest four million dollar budget, seventy three million. Bill Macy on mod, right? Yeah, you got some like, and and, and Bernadette Peters no slouch either, right? I mean, so these were big. This this wasn't hey, let's see how the stand up comedian. It wasn't like when 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 Dane Cook tried to become an actor, you know, right. and they throw him in low budget stuff. No, this was, and again, he was a proven commodity at this point. And and I think a lot of people, you know, like like Carl Reiner liked him and wanted to Jackie, you know, Mason, um, Jackie Mason, Mason, and him. Probably a hero, like like oh, Steve yeah. Martin, a hero, and and they probably had a relationship. So, but Phil million dollars, but seventy three million dollars in nineteen seventy nine for a comedy, yeah, was was blockbuster. It was like one of the, I'd have to look it up. It was in the top ten grossing movies of that year. You know, between Star Wars, so good for them. So so you think about that. It's like it was Steve Martin's first movie. His best movie, I, I really think. That, that, there's not a close second. I mean, he, I like other things he's done. We've talked about it. You know, Man with Two Brains. You know, I wasn't a huge Roxanne fan, but it was fine and stuff like that. But without a doubt, I mean, the jerk is the jerk. And, it's, and I wonder how much money it's made. I mean, it got another $9.99 for me on Apple TV 33 years later, 36 years later. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies. By the way, uh, just a real quick thing. I looked up uh, Carl Gottlieb co-wrote this Guess who he played in the movie? Iron Balls McGinty. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's available for download and purchase now. It holds up if you frame it in the time of which it was released. I mean, like, the the, the, the whole premise of, you know, coming into money and being stupid with it, I mean, that's not a story that's ever going to go out of date. Right. Um, and that's and it has like racial and elements, but it's not racist. It's it, okay. This was one of the questions I was thinking about. You could not do Blazing Saddles today. No, you could do this. You you could tweak it and and do this. Like you can't tweak Blazing Saddles and, and put it out today. Uh, you could make a couple adjustments, and this wouldn't be. Well, the thing about the jerk is that. It's a Steve Martin movie. It's a showcase for his talents. It you put anybody, anybody, Jim Carrey could not make the jerk. No, Ace Ventura was the Jim Carrey movie. Yeah, you know what I mean? agreed. Like, yeah, the jerk is the Steve Martin movie. You know, like that's a showcase for his talents. It's basically like the the greatest hits of Steve Martin in one movie. You could make a story like this, 
But to capture that lightning in a bottle, I don't think you could actually redo this movie in another form with another actor. And oh have no, it be no, but 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 like I, I was referring more to like Blazing Saddles is just too far over the line because of how things have changed over like the last like fifty years. Right, right, like right. That. I mean, right, yeah, and even then it was like it was already. 50 years removed from its time period. Well, 70s, probably about 100 years removed. Right, right. From its time period. But but this, 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 I think you could, like, you know, if, if all the elements, if Steve Martin was the same age and yeah. stuff like that. But yeah, I don't think it's that. I mean, the disco thing isn't, you know, you play music from Fortnite and you have them do the floss except the, the Saturday Night Live dance. But I do. I, I think it really kind of still holds. It holds up, and it's yeah. It's not something that needs to be remade or, or no. Right, right. No, and it never needed a sequel. Right. Although it did have a sequel, which I didn't know. The TV sequel. Have you? You've never seen no, it? No, it was like '84. It came out. And maybe we'll watch it. And just, Steve Martin produced it. I'm interested to see it only because look, there are some movies. No, no, you you don't do a sequel to. Uh, you shouldn't have done a sequel to the Blues Brothers. You shouldn't have done a sequel to Slapshot. I can go down the list of movies you should never have done a sequel to. This is one of them. I'm reading Wikipedia. Deleted scene section. A scene in which Bill Murray was to have made a cameo was cut from the final film. What? I've never seen that. It, it was cut. Right, but but it never made it to one of these. Right. So So, yeah. So, The Jerk is one of those movies where... It was such a part, and, and, and I, I, I tell people this all the time. Um, honestly, I say it as a joke because I can't not be a sarcastic, smart-mouthed dick, uh, no matter how much it's interfered with love life, jobs, social interaction, being a real person. But picking Don Rickles as a role model growing up and embracing the world of like the jerk and using that as a template for having conversations with people <laughs> moving forward. I mean, it is. It's it's something that has been, you know, as much a part of my life as the superhero shit, as the Star Wars, Star Trek shit. Comedy was my first love. Like, well, comedy and Star Wars at the same time. It's like Star Wars comes out at the same time I'm immersed in my dad's, like, you know. Comedy albums. You know, but comedy was as much a love for me, you know, with this. So that movie, that movie, Airplane, shaped everything moving forward. Like, my perspective of what movies should be. And I remember my first week at Fitchburg. Film 101, I'm in a room with John Hunt, and the professor, you know, got their who's, goes around the room asking, you know, the assignment, the first assignment was come in with your top 10 movies. And you have these kiss-ass people talking about these never heard of underground Czechoslovakian films had to be smuggled out of like, you know, Romanian Jews ass, like as the Nazis were closing in and only one of the five reels survived. But man, is it fuck you. You know what right. I mean? And it's like all, all the, the citizen came great movie. But my list, my list was, it was the jerk. It was the Caddyshacks. It was blues brothers. It was blazing saddles. It was history of the world. And, and, I got so chastised, and that day, that professor, who I ended up having for eight more classes over the next four years, never had an ounce of respect for me. Honestly, I could show up. I, I showed up for every class. I, you know, one 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 class, um, um, film three, 
They brought the class in half to do each half had to do a movie. I got excused from that and could do my own movie, which I made a music video for the band, which got on MTV, which, you know, got me a huge thing in Billboard magazine. All this stuff, I got a 2-0. The people who were in the room whose film never got in got a 3 or a 3-5. But the next semester, it was sound and lighting. I think I showed up for one or two classes. I got a 2-0. Like, he yeah. knew we, we had an understanding, you know? But he didn't take me seriously. Those are the movies that I wanted to make. I don't want to make The Godfather. I don't want to make Deer Hunter. I don't want to make Apocalypse Now or, or Citizen Kane, any of that. I If I got my thing, um, you and I would be riding high on the, on the royalties of Bingo Kings. Like yes. like a movie that Joe and I tried to tried to get off the ground based on our absolute love for Get a Life. Um, another side another show. show we have to. But but this is the movie that shaped it. Like these are the movies that came out. Boom boom boom. In this time frame, it was Animal House. It was Caddyshacks. It was Blues Brothers. It was Airplane. It was The Jerk. Yeah, you know, fantastic movie, and it shaped my. Um... Yeah, it shaped my uh, love for comedies and uh, you know, and my like my love for Steve Martin. Um, Is there a flaw in this movie? And I mean that. I, I, I'm t- I'm going through it. We've already went through it I, for I mean, over a past it, hour and it, a half. It, 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 as absurd as this movie is, there's in this in this reality. You know yeah. what I mean? In this reality, there's not a huge plot point like it, like unplausible. Right, and it, right, there's the, and it, and it's a tight movie. Like it's tight. Like there's not a lot of like downtime. They trim the fat as much. They made this is a lean comedy that moves and is funny and is absurd. It's probably one of the more perfect comedies ever made. But the fact he's not yet, and there's always been rumors that he wouldn't do it or would do it. But for a guy who has done Father of the Bride. Four, right. five, like know. literally hey, cheaper by the dozen. I think three he did a couple of four. cheaper by the dozens. And, you a know, and, of and, and I remember John Cleese, like there was a, a documentary on Steve Martin and John Cleese was asked like, you know, it's like he's done so much great stuff. He's done cheaper by the dozen four. And John the Cleese Pink was Panther like, movies, well, yeah. you have to understand. I mean, the Pink Panther thing, that was a that was a passion project. Right. That was a vanity passion project because he loved Peter Sellers right, so right. much. Okay. Uh, and he wanted to pay tribute to him and literally pulled a Danny Thomas on his grave. Yeah. Um, but with uh with John Cleese. With said. John Cleese, he's like, Well, you have to understand, uh, he's an artist and uh he's an art collector, and he will do a fantastic movie. And then the red wall would be for sale. <laughs> you know? and he flat out, flat out called them out. But on Steve it. Martin himself is a Renaissance man because he was a magician. It worked at the Disney, worked at Disneyland in California for years. Yes. It wasn't a summer job. Right. His passion, read Born Standing Up. Fantastic. Must read. I don't read a lot of books. I read that cover to cover. And, and this it's was wonderful. a guy who was at. Uh, honestly, like right now, who's who's Steve Martin in comedy? Um, um, Nobody. No. no, uh, no. Like what? Uh, like uh, oh, God, um, Kevin. Um, Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Kevin. That was Steve Martin, and Steve Martin said, "Yeah, I can't. There's, I can't go past this. Right. Like this. I, I'm selling out at Madison Square Garden. Right. But the, the the evolution of Steve Martin as a as a as a person. He was, you know, a, a magician who became a a comedian. 
you know, stand-up comic who became um, like a variety show kind of personality who became uh, kind of a TV when actor. When you see him on those variety shows, like the clips from like the Smothers Brothers and the other things yep. and, and the cars, fantastic musician. Yeah. Like he literally is probably one of the best banjo, banjo players. Play. Yeah. I mean, he's a virtuoso in, in banjo. But then he becomes a movie star, like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And then he becomes... Uh, an author. He becomes, he does his little art collecting thing, but then he also becomes a playwright and he writes play after play after play. That what, what's a play where it's Van Gogh meets, um, oh, uh, try, I'm trying to think. I mean, he it. wrote Shop Girl, he wrote Bright Star, he wrote, uh, he, he wrote, a, he, he co wrote a, a lot of, um, I mean, a lot of uh, Tony Award. And here's, a, here's one of the plays. amazing things about, uh, two things. Um, tell me about when he's asked for autographs. <laughs> So when he's asked for autographs, he has a card made out that he just hands people that says, this is proof that you have indeed met Steve Martin and he was delightful. delightful. <laughs> uh, so circling it back, Joe's love for the Ghostbusters is much greater than mine, but I love the Ghostbusters. My love for certain things, Joe, Joe, Joe likes the Blues Brothers and, and, and Batman movies and all of this stuff, but, but we toggle back and forth. But I think the absolute two things like we're on equal footing is National Air and Prune and, 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 and The Jerk. Yep. I, I, I don't think my love for those two things is greater than yours. On other like all the geek, I love video games, not as much as you. You know, I love you. Love the superhero stuff and not Star as Wars, not as, but but National Lampoon and the Jerk in these movies. You know, but even so, I, I don't think like Animal House, or, you know, is, is as or the Blues Brothers. You like them, but they're not like. But this one, we could sit down for. We we could do a different Jerk podcast next week. We could soak in this movie. Right. Together. Like, if this movie were a bathtub, you and I would share it. Gladly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hop in here. Come on. Not you, shithead. Uh, Of the 50-plus sideshows, I don't know. How many sideshows? I think we're at 30-something sideshows, and we had done over 50 regular shows. No one has been or will be more self-indulgent than this. Oh, God. And, and, And... I don't apologize for this. No. This was a rambling, kind of incoherent, oh, we missed that. Oh, don't forget that part. If you listen to this and you're hearing me now, oh, man, A, I love you and please get help. Right. Like, like, literally. Or either that or you skipped all the way to the end. Yeah. See if we'd actually, like, you know, if we didn't have, like, a suicide pact at the end. (laughs) Exactly. It's a murder suicide. Just, like, found footage that was published by one of our relatives. Uh, You know, but seriously, if you you listen to the whole thing... And, and, and at all enjoyed it. There's a third mic at this table. Email us. Come be a guest. But but seriously, thank you for indulging in us, Joe. Thank you. And and I cannot think of a better anniversary gift to ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Congratulations, us. Oh, and one last thought on the jerk is don't forget. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Oh, hey.